What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Oh, and I'm being, I'm being told he said, big boy, sign the contract, big boy. Oh, <laughs> oh, please don't do that. Oh, please don't have called him big boy. What's happening guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, as always guys, there is so much going on. We still got fallout from UFC 291. Plus, we have Corey Sandhagen on the verge of a title shot. And Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz is finally here. Plus, will Conor McGregor ever fight again? I'm going to get into all of that on today's show. Let's begin here. Masvidal says he dropped a hundred grand, hundred thousand dollars. The BMF fight he bet on Poirier, of course. And I don't want to just take for granted that those guys are teammates, very close friends, very close training partners. So he had to put the belt right. Masvidal, I'm talking about. He had to put the belt on Gaethje. His very good friend is lying unconscious. Not a knockout like you're used to. Like, we throw that term out, knockout. I doubt no matter how big of a fight fan you are that you've seen 10 knockouts in your whole life. I doubt that. Probably saw four on Saturday. Called knockouts. I'm talking about where a guy is unconscious. Knocked out. Got to put the belt on him. And he knows he lost 100 grand. And he didn't wrap the belt around... Gaethje, he draped it. Now, I hope to hell that story's not true. I really do. Masvidal, man, he's a smart guy. That would surprise you. Masvidal's a very intelligent guy. He enjoys reading. He enjoys history. Just by example. I just don't think he would do that. And don't forget, there was no chalk on that fight. That was dead even. Dead even money. Now, that ch- that changes, right? I get that that dances around. The co-main event did, too. Co-main event, the morning prior to the fight, so that would be Friday, after weigh-ins, but prior to the fight, they were both minus 110. That's rare. That's rare that you don't have chalk in one direction. So, I don't want it to be true. I don't want Masvidal to have bet that money, but when I saw the picture and I saw the fact that he put it over his shoulder and got out of there as opposed to putting it around his waist. I do believe he was bothered about something. And the BMF for me, I'll tell you what happens sometimes, guys, is I know all the rules, right? Now, I, at 24 years old, started a mixed martial arts company. We've held over 130 events. It's the same company that during COVID transitioned from MMA and put on Submission Underground, just by reference. And the state of Oregon, where we held these events, took me, 24 years old, to court seven times. Seven times. A broke 24-year-old has to take on an endless machine known as the state. And I beat them all seven times. And I beat them because I knew the rules and they didn't. 
That was it. There was nothing else. I find that to be interesting. And I find the rules to be interesting. I brought you guys so many pieces when Charles Oliveira was stripped of the championship. Because the state that hosted it didn't strip him. And I thought you'd think it was fascinating. I finally had a judge, a licensed judge, but somebody very involved in the sport, call me up and say, you've got to stop. Why do I have to stop? Hey, they don't have this right. Hey, Charles laid down and took this. He could resist a championship legacy, participation on the pay-per-view. There's a lot riding on this. He said, nobody cares. That's what he told me. He said, nobody cares. So you got to be kidding me. You don't think that's fascinating? The organization stepped in and took his belt. The state that sanctioned it did not and doesn't have a mechanism to do so. You don't think that's interesting? No, I don't think it's interesting. You got to stop. And I only bring it to you because I do think those rules, I think, I, I do think that's interesting. And I have a hard time stopping. I thought, and if you would have listened to me, that the BMF is a title. T title, make sure you guys understand this. We're not just having fun with words. Title is a legal term that is identified and specified within a boilerplate contract at the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So when I say I think it's a title, I'm not just throwing things out. I'm saying something to you very specific. I told you guys this. I wish there was a lineage. I love it. I wish they bring the super fight back. I love that they do the interim championship. BMF, I mean, this just made my day. This is so wonderful. Opportunity. And the day before, we find out from the commission in Utah that it's not a title. That it's just a belt. Bring it. Don't bring it. Say the guy won it like you promised. Don't do it at all. We're not going to touch it. That's fully up to you. Hand him a medal. Hand him a ring. Hand him a bonus. I mean, whatever you do, that's just that has nothing to do with us. This is not a title fight. And I do think that's a big deal, right? Because I don't want to speak wrong. Not to mention, I think there's many ways to build the drama better in this situation, right? I mean, if we want to have fun, I'm not like being a wet blanket here. I didn't make the rule. Utah is the one that disclosed it. Utah let us know this is not a title. This has no lineage. This will not go in the record books. This is a trophy that we're told is going to go to the winner. And if you choose to not do that, we won't enforce it because we're not involved in this anyway. This is, I'm, I'm telling you what they said. I thought that was headlines. I thought this was breaking the sports center. I thought this was huge stuff. I tried to get a camera, get to my YouTube page. I was having camera problems to the point that I went to Oscar with Mac Life and said, man, you got to help me out. I got to have this. Chill, what do you have to have? I got the scoop. This is not a title fight. The commission just said they just ruled. When Justin Gaethje got on the scale at 156 pounds, which is not legal for a title fight, they just told the world it's not a title fight. It's a really big deal. How do you defend it? Should you defend it? Where's the lineage? Big things, right? I'm, I'm well aware that in the sport of MMA, which is still blossoming, we are going to fiercely adhere to whatever rules we make up on the spot. I'm fully aware of that. 
but it does provide for some opportunity, right? Like I'm not being a wet blanket by telling you this. It doesn't take away from what happened in the least. I could create it one hell of a storyline. We just don't generally see it in MMA. We have seen it in this sport before. Let me give you an example. Ric Flair lost matches to Dusty Rhodes clean. One, two, three. He would lose clean matches to Dusty Rhodes, but he would remain world champion because they were non-title matches. He would do that for the whole world to see on TV. Then when they had the pay-per-view, the whole world would come in and buy it because they know Dusty can beat him. And this one is for the title. Very simple stuff. But we're doing a level of that here. right? Within this sport, whatever you have is on the line at all times, discussed or undiscussed. If you have never lost, that's on the line. Whether it's discussed or not, if you were the world champion, that's on the line, whether it's discussed or not. Whatever popularity and fans, whatever shine you've got, your walkout music, and whether you're in the red or blue corner, everything's on the line every time. But we saw George Monsvidal, the BMF champion, fight two times and not put the belt up. As a matter of fact, I had that wrong, didn't I, guy? guys? Three times. And that's before his final fight. I'm talking about Usman, Usman, Colby. We got to throw a Burns in there too. He fought four times. And he lost each fight, but he remained the champion. He remained the champion to the point that he brought his belt and he passed it on to the winner, which happens to be Justin Gaethje. I think that that's a very interesting thing. If it's a title, I think it's got to go up. I don't know. I, I, I think it's got to go up. Do, do you guys agree? If it's not a title, if it's just a belt, we'll do it when we want. Specify when we want. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes does good business. I like it. I like it. What I don't like is that wasn't disclosed to me. I must tell you. I didn't like that. I, I, I did not like that I had to find out from the commission at the time of weigh-ins. I didn't like that. It's okay. Nobody's wronged me, but I would have brought it to you guys. I would have told you. I discussed many times for you why Masvidal didn't defend it. Huge deal. You want to know a whole bunch about our industry and what you're looking at? Be able to answer that question, but now it turns out it's not a title in the first place. It was just a belt. Is that true? Was that true at Madison Square Garden? When Masvidal won, it wasn't a title. When Gaethje won it, it was not. That's per the commission, not me. In New York, they did make scratch weight. You tell me. Was it a title? Or is it just a belt? Siri, call Ali Abdel Aziz. Guys, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm gonna have to get back to that. Guys, guys. Oh, I don't even wanna tell you. I don't even wanna tell you. I don't wanna tell you because I feel that it makes it real. We can still run this one back. We can delete it. We can delete it. Yes, that's the answer. Go to Twitter and delete it. Everybody does it. It's a fashionable thing. Justin Gaethje. It's his week. He's high. He's riding high. He's a, right. He can't screw anything up. We got to forgive him. He came out and he says to Conor McGregor, sign the contract. And he might have called him. Oh, I don't want this to be true. He might have called him big boy. 
Oh, I don't want that to be. I think he said sign the contract, big boy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, 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 God. I hope he didn't call him big boy. But on top of that, I hope he didn't say sign the contract. Justin was doing everything right. Justin gets interviewed right after his fight. Beautiful belt over his shoulder that says BMF on it. His second championship, by the way. The gorgeous, the consummate professional Megan Olivi is smart enough to know what's going on in the Twitter sphere, even though she's on live TV. And she asked Justin Gaethje about Conor McGregor tweeting and saying that he wanted to fight him. And I saw this footage. I don't believe that you have. I saw the footage. If you guys saw it, then I'll be embarrassed for thinking that I have something that you don't. But what I saw, and I thought ended up on the editing room floor, is Justin Gaethje very politely turned to the Megan Olivia and said, are we live? And Megan said no. And Justin said, F Conor McGregor. Don't even F and ask me about him. And Megan said, oh, okay. And she moved right on. And I thought that then that is what you guys saw. I don't think you saw what I just told you about. But it was wonderful, and I was so impressed with Gaethje. Your way of getting Conor McGregor is not to be nice to Conor McGregor. Your way to get Conor McGregor is to offer him something that nobody else has. And it's a very rare concept, and not many people understand it. They just don't. And one thing that Conor doesn't have is anyone that's ever told him no. Conor McGregor's been called out plenty of times. Conor McGregor's called people out plenty of times. Conor McGregor has never had somebody he called out decline the match. It's never happened. Until Justin Gaethje. And it was nothing more than a negotiation, right? Like Justin saying no and using the F word and telling Megan, I hope we're not live. This isn't real. This is the presentation that Justin's putting forward to get what he wants, which is a match with Conor McGregor, but I liked it. I thought it was very smart. I thought it was different. I thought it was clever. I thought it did a whole bunch of things. And above everything else, possibly it just goes away, but everybody that Conor's ever called out after a pay-per-view, right? I mean, that's Conor's move. A pay-per-view ends, he calls the winner out. This isn't new. This goes back to March three years ago. It's just a matter of nobody's caught on. Which is kind of weird for them, but I, I share this for you because everybody says yes and everybody holds on to it and everybody thinks it's real and everybody even has red panty night. Everybody even gets excited, which is what Connor wants, and then he goes away. Connor comes out and he will tell you, beg. I want to hear you beg. When somebody tells you who they are, listen. I know that's Maya Angelo, but she was right. When somebody tells you who they are, listen. Go do business with a guy, and the guy goes, oh, I love to sue. Listen, ha ha ha, smile and laugh back at him and remember it and don't shake his hand when the day's done. Don't do business. When someone tells you who they are, listen. Conor McGregor has told you he's the kind of guy that wants you to beg. So Justin Gaethje telling him no, quite possibly, either we never hear about it again or we hear about it again from Conor, which means the guy in Conor that wants to hear you beg is now the one that's having to beg. It's very smart that Gaethje told him no. But he's now told him, sign the contract. Oh, and I'm, be I'm being told he said, big boy, sign the contract, big boy. Oh, <laughs> I don't. oh, please don't do that. Oh, please don't have called him big boy. So there was a fight, guys. 
and it was uh, the great Frank Shamrock, and he was going to take on the great Caesar Gracie. And Frank told Caesar he was coming out to the media, just like you're just like you're seeing here today, with Gaethje and. Chandler, exactly like what you're seeing. They were going to the media, and the media was a little bit smaller, but we were still just as hot and just as interested. And we just didn't have fighters that would go after each other, right? I mean, back then, it was still about bow, and my father says, and all my honor and respect, and that's what it was. So to have two guys, let alone two leaders, two gym owners, two leaders of the enterprise, coming after each other, breaking all the rules about respect and honor, Frank Shamrock sent him a contract. He told him you sign that paper. Caesar Gracie went and took that contract right out of the fax machine. You want to know what that thing said? It said, I will fight Frank Shamrock. That, that's all that it said. I'm, I'm not, not going to get into the next one. It, the paper that came along through the facsimile said, I will fight Frank Shamrock. It did not say for how much, just by example, or when. Should be a very helpful clue, or at what weight class, or for how many rounds, or I didn't say anything else, right? I mean, have I proved my point? Here's all that it said, I will fight Frank Shamrock. So Caesar Gracie did not sign it. So Frank used that to torment him. I sent him the contract, he didn't sign it. What else can I do? And both sides were serious. And you see where that's kind of funny. And I'm not making fun of anybody. They were just trying to get a fight. It was just a different time. You had guys that trained people to fight. You didn't have fight promoters and understanding of how a contract works. Everything's fine. But Justin Gaethje has now told the big boy to sign the contract. What contract? That's the problem. What contract? Sign what contract? And what if Connor said, okay, and he did sign a contract? Like, what if he did? What if he held it up for the world to see and he signed the contract? And you looked real closely, and it was a sponsorship deal for Nike. Just by example. Could he then tell Justin Gaethje, I've done what you said to do? Much like Caesar could have signed that paper and told Frank, I've signed the contract. What do you mean sign the contract? What contract? And what difference does it make if you sign a contract? What difference does it make? You've got a man of his word, or you don't. You know, I'm going through this right now. I put an offer in on a house. And I would call it my dream home. Right, like I was born in Westland, but I will die in Westland. I will never leave. And I hear people say that all the time. Why don't you leave that politics issue? Why don't you leave? I will never leave anywhere when I have the other option to stand and fight. Just to answer that question. But I put an offer in on the property. And one of these guys with the Portland Trailblazers owns it, right? But he can't make a decision, so it's got to go to his business manager. Whatever. I really couldn't possibly care less. I mean, at some point, I'm just going to go over there. And it's just going to be my house. I mean, if, if, if they keep this up. But turn the paper and notice an offer. What they want to see. So then what his 30-year-old non-property owning real estate agent wants to see before he will take the offer, not to the guy, to the guy's business manager, before he then comes to the guy and then eventually comes back to me. What he wants to see is a pre-approval letter. Do you guys know what a pre-approval letter is? Okay. I have a printer right over here. I could print you one at any time. It means nothing. Oh, and guess what? What if I did do that? What if I did forge one? Guess what happens to me? Nothing. They don't matter. It's a pre-approval letter. And the guy is telling me that you must have this. You must sign the contract, big boy. It's like, okay, 30-year-old non-property owner, let me explain something to you, okay? I'm writing the check, and it's a pretty big one, but that makes me the boss. Secondly, 
If I tell you I'm going to buy the house and I tell you when I'm going to close and I tell you what I'm going to give you for the house and you tell me that you want a letter to back that up, you're asking for a letter from someone you don't know that backs up the claim that you just got from the guy directly. Sign the contract, good boy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or I'll just come take your house. Porn and MMA. Wow, where's Jail gonna go with this? What kind of a comparison? Well, there's a lot of comparisons. Take a perfectly nice gal. No aspirations, never gonna take her clothes off, but you know, somebody came at her the right way. They got a swimsuit, pretty revealing. It's not like anything you've ever seen on a beach, but it is by definition a swimsuit. For X amount of money, can you talk her in to wearing it and giving you the rights to the photos? All right. Well, once you get there, generally speaking, in a broad stroke, now it's a matter of time. It might take five years. But pretty soon, that swimsuit that's been accepted is going to garner an attention that was a heck of a lot of fun. And it wasn't the money that it brought in, by the way. And it wasn't becoming calloused or having a moral decay. It's none of those things. That's what they'll tell you it is when they finally get to the casting couch. It brought in an attention. And when you put that same swimsuit on a month later, and a month later, and a month after that, it became normal, and it quit getting attention. So you switch to something else. And then you start to make deals. I'll have a two-piece, and I'll, I'll, I'll take one of them off so it's a one-piece. You start to make deals with yourself, and that is going to garner attention, good and bad. Some people, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did it. But if you do that same thing, you put on the two-piece, you make the deal, and you, you're, it's going to be a one. Five and six and seven months and eight and nine and ten times after doing that same thing, the same thing that got you all that attention, that fed like a drug that part of your ego, all of a sudden it just becomes the norm. So now putting on the two-piece and making a deal and removing one, no, you're going to remove them both. This is the escalation. But moreover than me identifying a very obvious escalation, I'm identifying for you why. And it's about the attention that it brings in. And it's a very hard thing to replace. And MMA is unlike any other sport that I know of. I tell you guys all the time in basketball, you can lose on Tuesday and on Friday be the world champion. It happens darn near every season. You can lose two games in one week and be the world champion. You can lose three games in the same month to the same guys. Don't you think they should be world champion? I mean, if you're world champion and they beat you three times in a month, shouldn't they be world champion? No, not in basketball. No, it's not how it's played. I only offer you that as one example. I could go through a, a number of other sports and just tell you where losing is more acceptable. In MMA, it's not even about the losing. You only get three matches a year. Like A fan will never know because he will never see what it's like in the fighter's locker room after a loss. He'll never know what it's like in the fighter's hotel room when he's got to wake up the next morning beaten and battered, 
half the pay that he was potentially going to get, headed to the airport far earlier than he would like to sit in coach and travel back home. Like, they're just not going to know, and they're just not going to see that. And it's, it's one of these very unique spots that the worst part about fighting is the fight. And you'll meet guys that tell you, I love to fight, I love it, I love it. They'll, they'll tell you those things, but they're encompassing everything. They, they don't actually mean I love to be punched or I love to punch somebody else. That's not actually what they mean. They're talking about the atmosphere. They're talking about that cage. They're talking about that roar of that crowd. They're talking about coming through the curtain. They're talking about the media leading up to it. That's what they're telling you that they love. They love the risk that they're taking going into a business proposition where you got 50% chance of failure. They love the rush that that gives them. And that's what they're speaking to. And I give you this diatribe because I get asked the same question all the time. And it's to the point that I'm starting to ask it to other people. Do you believe Conor McGregor will fight again? And you'll always get the smart guy in the room. The smart guy that followed boxing. And he knows all about the sport, and a rich man can't fight. And Sugar Ray Leonard once said, you can't wake up in silk pajamas and want to go run five miles. Right? You've met that guy? You met that guy? And just so you understand, it's Marvin Hagler's actually the one that said it. They now don't know that, and they say that Sugar Ray said it. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. Like, you can get a rinse and repeat all the time. But the guy that the networks hire to come out and tell you that, every network to a man, Every network, every time, has never fought. He never actually did it. He was never actually in that locker room before or after. He never actually got half his pay for doing the same job. He never actually had to go to a hotel room too sore to sleep to answer an alarm to send him to an airport to sit and coach. He doesn't actually know. And I, I don't berate them. They do a very good job. I'm just sharing with you some of the more fine intricacies, they're going to have no way to know. And the question is, why could a man in silk pajamas get up and go run in the morning? To answer Marvin Hagler's question is for the attention. That's your answer. So if you had a way to get that attention without having to do the work, all of you would have gone and done what Rhonda did, just by example. All of you. If you could still get on camera and still get in headlines and still be asked questions as though your opinion somehow is greater than other people's, and you didn't have to get punched for real, and the paycheck had no threat of being cut in half, I'm just sharing for you, everybody would have done it, excuse me, and I really do look at that when I try to answer the question of will Conor McGregor fight again? I had a very good friend. And he was, he was wildly dishonest. And he would never try to harm you. He would never try to steal from you. It wasn't that kind of dishonesty. But he just couldn't tell the truth. It just, it just couldn't be done. And over time, having pinned the Olympic champion in three seconds and having won the lottery in nine different states, over time, when lying about positive things quit garnering attention, he went and lied about bad things. Said he just got out of rehab. Said he was hooked on crystal meth. He had never done drugs. He had never been to rehab. He had never touched crystal meth. He started to lie about Nate. It was just for the attention. I'm only, I'm only bringing that to you. It appears that Connor, much like the girl, 
who was once willing to wear a swimsuit, but over the years had to escalate. Right, it's always a fine line. It's always a fine line where something wears off. When you're the guy that talks trash and you push it and push it and push it, and then it becomes normal. So now you start talk, talk, talking trash with profanity. And eventually the profanity starts to just blend in. So then you go somewhere that nobody else would, which is about the guy's family. And then pretty soon that becomes your stick and that's perfectly normal. So now you got to bring his family, but you got to bring the ones that are minors and not over 18. Like you'll just keep going as soon as that attention wears off. I don't think Conor McGregor's a criminal. I don't think he's a drug addict. I don't think he's a businessman that has any business owning a pub. I don't think he's any of those things. I think it brings him attention. And I'm just sharing for you, will Conor fight again? Well, a big mistake putting him on the Ultimate Fighter. Big mistake. And the belief of the psychology was not only we have a great package, even if we have him fight again, we're going to have a really great package. But moreover, the belief, whether they'll admit it or not, was if he does this, it'll put him in a position, of course he will go and do the fight, but should have had that about agreement signed. Should have had USADA under, these are obvious, I'm stating the obvious, I, I didn't know these five months ago, I would have told you this five months ago, it's now obvious now, but moreover, you've given the Koi dog the attention that he needs, why does he need to fight if he's on ESPN every single week for other reasons? So will Conor McGregor fight again, right? I got, I got a group thread that goes with every voice in this industry. With, with 160 characters, I could push one button or have somebody push it to me and I'll adhere to it and we'll stop saying Connor's name. And all of a sudden, his value go from red panty night to who the hell's Connor. We could do that. Do you want to know why nobody suggested on the group thread? Do you want to know why I haven't suggested it? Because you guys are still interested in it. Red panty night is still real. I'm making about five or six videos today. The one that will get the most views is this one because I'm going to have Connor McGregor's name in it. That's real. When that wears off, I'll quit talking about it. It's the truth. The relationship is transactional. Will he fight again? Not if he keeps getting attention. Could I, with the power and the respect I have of the people in the industry on a group thread on my phone that's sitting right here, stop everybody and take that attention away to force him to fight? Yeah, sure I could, but I don't really care about the lefts and the rights either. I could break down a fight for you guys, tell you about the guy that punched this way and he swung this way. I, I could do all of those things. You guys aren't going to click on it. It's not what you're interested in. You're interested in the drama. You're interested in the story. You're interested in the attention. It's not a bad thing. I'm just sharing with you where this goes. When you're attempting to make a prediction of will Connor fight again, nobody wants to fight no matter how many times they tell you that they do. They need the money. Well, Connor doesn't. What he needs is attention. Good or bad doesn't make a difference. At some point, it's just the attention. So if he keeps getting it, no. I don't think he'll fight again. The number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level 
mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep and honestly that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL. So I think that we all would understand Prohaska returning and fighting for the belt. As a matter of fact, guys, I would go one step further, but now I'm a fan long enough to remember when Ronda Rousey and Jose Aldo were named world champions of the UFC without ever having competed in the UFC. My fanage goes back to the time. I remember the night they woke Matt Hughes up, who was unconscious, and informed he was the champion of the world. I mean, like if we're if we're gonna do this, why couldn't we just give him the belt back? I'm not arguing that we go in that direction. I'm asking you, why not? If Prohaska, right, I believe in the Survivor Clause. I've always believed in the Survivor Clause. I don't think Charles Oliveira should be forced to do a fight that he's told the world he's too hurt to do. I don't think he should. I think that Benny DeRue should have taken the fight. I don't care if he lost his last one. It's called a Survivor Clause. It's very common within our industry. I mean, I bring that to you because we got three champions that walked away from the belt. And I believe whoever comes for it first should be given the belt. I do. John Jones cuts down to 205, and then they should hand him the belt if he's the first one to get there. If Prohaska is the first one to get there, they should hand him the belt. If Jamal comes back, Jamal comes back for the championship that he never lost, just hand him the belt. Or you don't have to, or you can have him go fight for it. Like, that's fine, too. I'm just sharing for you, like, all of these scenarios work. And I understand that we're going into Sillyville just a little bit, but this Prohaska thing, guys, this is weird. And the only way that you're hearing from Prohaska ever since December 2nd of last year is in a monologue. And I don't think that anybody understands the importance of that better than me. I got nine J-Brones at the Luxor in Las Vegas that want to get a Bentley, and you guys all want to know the story. But there's nobody to ask me the story because there's nobody here. It's just me talking. It's very relevant because you keep hearing from Prohaska, but you don't hear him get interviewed. Now, I become a very big Prohaska fan to the point that I would call myself a Prohaska supporter. It was very serendipitous. I catch up with King Mo. There's few people in the sport I enjoy visiting with more than King Mo. He's just so knowledgeable. Plus, he's a super cool guy. But I'm catching up with King Mo, and he's telling me he's fought Prohaska twice. And Chael, this guy is different. Forget everything that you think that you know about him. This guy's dad gives me this whole rundown. Mo beat him one time, by the way. Mo, be Mo stopped him. Had to rematch him and did not want to do the rematch. He stopped him and didn't want to. This is Mo telling me. Told me the story. Said, man, yeah, the guy, he's, he's got a will. He's got a grit. He comes after. He's different. He's got angles. He's got power. 
Very high praise, particularly from King Mo. I leave this lunch with King Mo. I'm walking through the lobby. I run into C.B. Dalloway. C.B. brings up Prohaska and gives him the equal amount of praise that Mo just did. So I'm on board. I'm Okay, I didn't know any of these things, but now I'm looking at him right. And, and, and what your peers say and think about you, it's so important because it's always true. Your peers are always right, good or bad. So all of a sudden, I'm a Prohaska fan. Okay. But I'm confronted with a big problem, which is getting information on Prohaska. So he says he's going to come back and fight. The UFC believes he's going to come back and fight. A lot of us thought... We should just look at the hardest and most competitive, highest-ranked match that we currently have signed and just put the belt on that. That would represent Saturday in Salt Lake City, co-main event, Jan Blahovich, former world champion, Alex Pierre, former world champion, and we're going to make that for the 205-pound championship that Jamal just gave back. That's what a lot of us thought. But the UFC spoke up, and they said, we're not going to put a belt around one of these guys when Prohaska, the rightful champion, is just about to return. That's a big statement. Then you have from Prohaska, he's looking great. He's got the abs showing. He's working on the hairdo. He's saying all the right things. He went and sat in a cave for seven, eight, seven days, whatever that means. But he looks good, right? You can't just look good. You, you, There's training that you have to do. But we can't ignore the fact that the shoulder injury story can turn out to be complete bull SHI asterisks. We can't deny that. We were told the shoulder was the worst shoulder we've ever seen to the point that he may not return. Not only is he about to return, we were told that in December, and we were told that he was going to return in January. It was only a month later when the whole I'm going to return, I've been misdiagnosed started to come out. But then we hear that USADA had tested him 27 times in 30 days, which is a record to our knowledge. Those numbers could be, might have been 22 and 25 days you get my point. What did they find? Now, USADA coming out to test him all those times does not mean he's dirty. It means they think he's dirty. It's 100% what it means. Travis Taggart and company would not deny that. If we're at your door and you're in a foreign country and it costs us an arm and a leg and we show up 25 times in 30 days, we think you're on something. We also think we know how to catch it. Now, that's okay. That's them doing their job, by the way. That wasn't a put down. But I'm sharing with you when that's not cleared up and then you hear from Prohaska that I'm about to return. In a monologue, you can get away with that. If you're doing an interview and you're with somebody worth the salt, let's call it me. I'm going to ask very simple questions. Who are you training with? Real small world. Like to know what gym... So I know what bodies are in there, and then I can kind of go behind your back later and find out how often you're in there, and are you sparring, and how you looking. So I'm going to gather that piece of information. I'm going to ask you, are you in the pool? I'm going to ask you, did you remain in the pool? There would be no reason for somebody who suffered the worst shoulder injury we've ever seen to be in the pool. Like, it wouldn't even be up to him. Somebody would just pull him from the pool. You're now retired. They took the belt from him. But that would have been a mistake, turning out that he was fine by January, according to his social media. That would have been a huge mistake. But either way, if it happened, including if it happened momentarily, if he retired for one hour, I'm making numbers up, but to prove a point, if he retired and one hour later said, I'm unretired, 
he still defaults to 180 days or six months, which you're hearing about Conor McGregor. Is that what's happening? Did they remove him from the pool in December? Did they realize by January it was a mistake? Did they put him back in the pool and he's actually cleared already? Or did they not put him in and they waited till April? And we're still counting days down. Does it have absolutely nothing to do with the pool? Like, I, I mean, I'll listen to any of these things, but there's another rule within USADA which says if we flag you, instead of coming out and destroying you like we did so many other guys, we will allow the arbitration process to take place silently. And if you prevail, we will never release to the world what the holdup has been. We'll allow you to say you're injured. We will allow you to say you're ill. We'll allow you to say that you're on vacation. Allow you to say anything you want if you prevail. Which is a very big deal. They brought three guys down in one month. All three ended up being innocent. But the guys were sponsors, were gone, reputations all over the internet. It was the right move by Osada. Step forward and go, hey, we got to fix this. And they did. But I'm sharing with you, I would have to ask him some of these questions. Because it was the worst injury ever in December. No reason to keep a guy... Worst ever in December, we're going to take his belt away. By January, according to social media, he's ready to fight. According to USADA, they got an eye on him in the first place. So if all of a sudden he goes off the grid, oh, and by the way, repairs the world's worst shoulder injury in a month, they're going to be suspicious. I don't believe they found him with anything. That's not what I'm here to report for you. What I'm here to report for you is this thing stinks and it stunk from the beginning. I'm hurt on December 4th. I got a fight on December 10th. By the way, not only am I not showing up, here's my belt. Simultaneous with Francis Ngannou has sat on his ass for 10 months and you let him keep the belt. I've been hurt one week. He's been out for 10 months and ridiculing you publicly. He kept the belt. I get stripped. There's something about this that stinks. Oh, by the way, if you did strip him or you accepted the relinquish of the title and you kept him in the pool, like if you guys come away here and think that, oh, Chael's letting us know he might have left the pool, you would be missing the point. He should have been taken out of the pool. If you stop his ability to get a paycheck as a prize fighter, you take his belt away, you're giving it to somebody else. He loses his position. He's not, he's not even the right. He's out. He's done. He's gonzo. Why would you possibly keep him in the pool? They should have removed him. That would have been the responsible thing to do. But if they did remove him, they got to put him back in. When did he go in? Oh, by the way, when the world's worst shoulder got better in three weeks, was he in the pool? It's a very interesting question. Why do we have a guy that's healed, publicly stated he's healed, but he doesn't have a date? He appears to have an opponent named Alex Piera. They've even began the media cycle. Both of them, back and forth. Very interesting fight from the X's and O's. But no official announcement that he's returned, which is why you continue to see monologues. And if you happen to be one of the guys that gets a dialogue, ask him that question. Are you in? Have you always been in? Were you removed? Was it your option to be removed from the pool? Hold the phone. We, we got to back up, right? 
it has been so difficult to get information lately, which is usually just not a thing in our sport, right? You can telephone, telegraph, or tell a fighter, the word's going to get out. Nobody can keep a secret. That's always been the rule in our sport. And I'm just, it's tough right now. So, Duplices is going to fight Adesanya in Australia in August as part of a new television deal. Now, you guys all believe that. Give me my credit, right? Give me my credit. You guys all believe that, and you were told that, and you were told that by every publication there was. And I told you three weeks before the fight, no, they're not. And they were never officially named. I'm talking about Whitaker and Duplices. They were never officially named. And that means Dana came out and said this number one contenders match. That's not how it happened. Somebody got in Joe Rogan's ear. Joe Rogan made that match in the ring. But we all knew. We all knew that Joe was doing absolutely the right thing. Oh, by the way, here comes Izzy, right? I mean, even though it wasn't expressly stated, we all knew. Well, all of us but one, I told you it wasn't. I told you over and over it wasn't. And it didn't matter who. I told you, it doesn't matter if Duplices pulls an upset. He was a 3-1 to one underdog at DraftKings. It doesn't matter if Whitaker goes out there and stomps it, which I thought he would do. But I told you guys, it's going to be a bludgeoning. And neither one of those guys is going to turn around in a month. Neither one of those guys, no, no matter who wins, is going to be named a number one contender at a fight in July for a fight that's in August with a totally different opponent. Oh, by the way, they're going to add 70% to it. They're going to put two more rounds on. I mean, I'm just, I told you this till I was blue in the face. And you want to know why I tell you right now? It's not just to shine my own wheels. That, of course, is, is a piece of it. It's to let you know and kind of defend Duplices a little bit here. Duplices looks like the skunk at the garden party. Whitaker wanted to done it. Neither one of those guys was going to turn around and go and do it. And by the way, we've never expected someone to. There's been short notice. I understand that. There's been last minute. I understand that. I had a fight. You'll see 109. Personalize it real fast. Fight a gentleman named Nate Marcourt. Co-main event spot. Biggest opportunity I ever had. Biggest opportunity. The fight was to be a number one contenders match for Nate, meaning if Nate beats me, Nate goes and fights Anderson for the title. It was not a double-edged sword, but at any rate, I end up winning. They end up giving me the opportunity, but I got a call to do that fight in Abu Dhabi. You might remember Damian Maya fought Anderson Silva. I got called to do that fight, and I bring that to you because that would represent three weeks after I had fought at 109. I would have been a number one contender. I would have been out there defending exactly what Duplices was asked to do. But mine was different in that that wasn't the plan by design. I can't remember who was supposed to fight Anderson out there. I can't remember who it was that pulled up lame. But when I got the call, I was in. But they were they were kind of shopping ideas. This is a period of time ago. So so how that all played out, I'm just sharing for you. Yeah, there are guys who have had number one contendership matches, have got to fight for world championships that had just competed somewhere else, but it wasn't by design. And I got to say that as a way of defending Duplices, right? Misery likes company. He's not doing the fight. Whitaker wasn't going to do the fight either. So 
this piece isn't really to, to relive history, it's a timeline, because then we're told Sean Strickland steps in and takes it. And that made a lot of sense. That's what Izzy wanted. And Izzy and Sean were on a collision course. I thought Sean was going to beat Piera. Sean was ranked number six in the world. I don't think Piera had anything. Nobody would fight Piera. Piera was a monster. Piera was an animal. Sean strategy. I mean, I, I can go relive that thing all I want. I'm just here to tell you if Sean would have beaten Piera, Sean would have fought Izzy. And when they got to the press conference leading into all of this, Sean came right after him and Izzy came right on back. I mean, right, we were, we were getting ready to fight. It was one punch away from having that fight happen. So to go and have those guys compete makes a lot of sense. Not to mention Izzy doesn't forget a damn thing. Izzy didn't forget that press conference and neither did Sean. I mean, these two are oil and water. They're just not going to get it right. They're just not. These two are going to fight. Whether they verbally fight over microphones like you've already seen. Or we can find some time that they can get in there. But it's very relevant. Because Izzy's not looking for an easy fight or a lower rank fight. He's not looking for any of that. He's been wanting to fight Sean for a period of time. And would have already fought him had one punch gone differently. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. It's a hard fight. It's the right fight to make. And Izzy said he was making it. And Sean said he was accepting it. And there's never been a time that Sean says, I'm doing a fight, or Izzy says, I'm doing a fight, and then that fight wasn't the one that they were doing. But then we get news. I believe it was I believe it was Helen Yee. I believe it was Helen came out with Sean live at Extreme Couture Gym, takes the camera, and we find out they're not going to do the fight. And Sean did not spare the lash, by the way, which probably comes to you as no surprise, but Sean did not spare the lash. He attacked, he attacked the entire second floor, the Ultimate Fighting Championships, located in Nevada. Said they dropped the ball. They really screwed this one up. And there was there was one thing when Sean was on his rampage that did stick with me. Because Sean said they dropped the ball. They got a main event in six weeks and they don't have an opponent. There's no one available. There's no one in shape. There's nobody trained like me. They've got an opponent. They've got everything. They have everything that they need. It's right here. Oh, by the way, the announcement's already been made. He made a, he made a very reasonable point. As simple as that might sound, he made a reasonable point. I ended up getting a call from my partner, Ryan, that says, if this information is true, I, they must be putting Cannoneer in. And that was just really hard to believe. That was really hard to imagine. I know they like parody and like change things up. These guys got business anyway. All I'm bringing for you is they didn't put Cannoneer in. Sean, as of right this second, just did another interview with Helen after work at Extreme Couture, and he says, we're working on it. He didn't get any further than that. He said, we are working on it. This isn't dead. He, he said that. In conjunction with Israel Adesanya saying, no, I want Strickland. I don't know what's going on over there, the second floor. But for me, for me, fix it. This is who I want. This is who you said. You already changed it on me once. Dude, Plesies and Bobby Knuckles are very different, but I flew to Vegas and I was going to step in and fake whoever it was I was going to do. I did that. And it changed. To Sean, right? I'm this, is, this, is, this is what the style bender said. I'm adding to it, but he makes a very good point. And one thing about that second floor, the Ultimate Fighting Championships located in Nevada, they're very reasonable. But like anybody, sometimes you have to be told to know. And go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. You're right. Sometimes you forget a little detail like that. Izzy came out. He said, look, you already changed it on me. And I, and I rolled it. But now you're going to try to change it a third time. 
Not as thrilled about that. And the fact that Izzy is still working on it, and the fact that Sean said we're working on it, I think that that's the direction we're going to go. Not to mention a byproduct of process by elimination and addition by subtraction. I, th you, I think you've got Sean by default, which is great news, guys. That's the fight. I went as far as to predict for you guys. And I told you guys, the Prohaska coming down rumor, this is garbage. I told you that, right? I admitted I heard the rumor, but I told you this isn't true. If you're not going to do Sean against Izzy and the fight is now five weeks away, you get, I think you pull Izzy completely. I think that's what you'd have to do. I don't think there's another meaningful opponent. And we want to see Izzy. And Australia wants to see Izzy. Izzy versus Strickland. Strickland says we're working on it. What's there to work on? Like, what, what part of it has you guys confused? Do you not know how you're going to get to Australia? Are you thinking maybe a plane or a train? Automobile? Hitchhike? Swim? Okay, we're going to take a plane just to clear it up for you. Weight class, 185. Venue, who cares? Flight, 21 hours. Purse, defer to the contract, add 100 Gs. What is it we're still working on? Maybe I can help. One hundred and thirty-five pounds. So, a lot of moving parts there, guys. I mean, Henry Cejudo's back, I think. I don't think he ever should have left. I'd be curious if he was candid and backed me up on that. I mean, right, imagine that Henry uh, wished he had three more fights, right? Do you guys think that's real? We'll count the one that he already did, and then let's say he has two more. Do you think that's pretty realistic before he's, do you think that's realistic? I would just share for you, that could already be done. In fact, he could have changed his mind and made it nine fights. It would be done. They'd be behind him. I don't know if that's something he would think is cool. I don't know. I think that he would. And he would have done it as champion as opposed to pursuing a championship. Food for thought, right? Everything's clear in hindsight, but I'd be curious what Henry's answer would be. I think the sport's better when he's around. All right, so there's there's Henry's an interesting one, but always a question mark. Now, let me sling it to the other side of the tracks, which is the champion of the world, Aljamain Sterling. He has said as recently as this week, but he said this many times, this is my last fight at 135. I'm going to 145. Now, we won't hold him to that. Could only imagine how uncomfortable he is or about to be making that weight cut. But do you like him at 145? Do you support the idea? Do you like the notion of a potentially vacated belt and or the potential for an interim championship? I would I, I would encourage him to stay. Now, I don't know what the weight is in the physiology, and I know with time we don't get smaller, we get bigger. Like, I listen to all these things. I'm just sharing to you from a competitive standpoint. I think that Aljo's hardest work is arguably behind him. I think one of the hardest matches you could find for him is his own teammate, and they're not going to fight. I think one of the hardest matches for him is Henry Cejudo, who we don't know what he's going to do. Oh, by the way, either way, Aldo's already got him. I think that Peter Yawn is a nightmare for anybody. And now you've got Sugar Shong, the young emerging rising star. If you get past him, it would just seem arguably, they're all studs. There's a whole bunch more studs coming, but arguably... Maybe he's got a lighter schedule than he's used to, at least in the short term. Now, what do you guys think we should do about someone 
that openly tells us I'm not tough enough to show up. What do you think about that? Is that too hard a language for me? Because I noticed you don't ever use it. You'll say, well, he was hurt or he was sick or he had to pull out or whatever. You, you don't seem to care. But when you were growing up, if two kids in your class decided they're going to go at it at 3 o'clock and one of them doesn't show, you don't talk about it the next day in terms of the one that didn't show would have won. You never talk about it again and you acknowledge until your graduation that this kid won. And it is a surprise to me that you let guys off the hook. Just a surprise to me. The rankings committee backs you. They do the same thing. We'll have a guy that raises his hand and says, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I can't. And whatever comes after that. Some of it's really tough. You've got injuries and things like this. Some of it's very tough conversations. But either way, you have a full admittance by said athlete. I can't. You'll have the rankings committee tell you he's the best guy in the world. I have no idea how you rectify those. I just, I couldn't begin to fathom how a guy says, I can't even try. I can't even train. I won't even make weight. I'm not even getting on the air. I'm not doing any of these things because I can't. We would accept that. We would definitely accept that. But the rankings committee doesn't. They'll keep them ranked. You don't. You don't care. And the reason I bring it to you is now you can't give credit to guys. You look at what Rob Font's doing. Rob Font should get a ton of credit for taking a short notice fight, which, by the way, is against the killer in Corey Sandhagen. I mean, as far as X's and O's, this is the fight. This is a better, more enjoyable, entertaining watch than what was originally scheduled for Nurmagomedov versus Corey Sandhagen because of styles, comma, in my opinion. I think that you guys would agree with me. This is a real toss-up, Rob and Corey. The other one was not. It was a steamrolling that I guess we're just going to do and book and take place, I guess. I'm just sharing for you. The guy that was supposed to be the B-side that was scheduled to take the ass-kicking is standing there like a man to this day. And the other guy backed down for whatever reason. I'm sure it's a good one. But what do you want to do with that? In the rankings, do you want them still to reflect the guy who openly said, I'm not tough enough to try? But the rankings keep him higher? How does that work? I don't understand that. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't come from that. I don't get it. My dad didn't feel good all the time. He never missed work. And he was a plumber. Woke up every morning. My dad went. My dad got up when it was dark. He went to bed when it was dark. And he never missed work. It wasn't because he didn't feel good all the time. He had a job to do. He went and did his job. I would never disrespect my father by not showing up for an elected game, a sport for goodness sake that I'm asked to do three times a year and that I'm contractually bound to do three times a year. I, I just couldn't imagine. And I, I'm not giving Umar a hard time at all. He's, he's, a, he's a real stud. I'm just sharing with you when you make those decisions or you come to that conclusion, the guys that step forward like Sandhagen now step in front of you. And Sandhagen is saying, after this fight with a victory, I would like to fight for a title. That makes a lot of sense to me. And if you were to say, well, Nurmagomedov has a better record, or he's undefeated, or that he's ranked higher, you wouldn't be wrong, but you would be reading numbers by an unnamed persons or person in a room somewhere in the world that puts out their opinion at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning, known as the Rankings Committee. I don't think that in real life you would give them that power. I think in real life, if you saw this with your own eyes in your classroom, you would give credit to the guy who knew what you knew, 
It's not as though you all knew that Nurmagomedov was a terrible matchup for Sandhagen, but Corey didn't know. Corey knew too. But it's what he was asked to do one of three times a year, and he said yes. And then you want to take away any chance that he has, and you want to add two rounds to it. And Corey said yes. Then you want to tell me it's not going to happen. We're going to bring somebody else in who's a lot more painful than the grappler that you just had. And Corey said yes. And in addition to everything, we're even going to change the weight class. And Corey said yes. It would seem as though with a win, he's the number one contender. And I would like to get ahead of something before it ever hatches, which is the catch weight. The kids online are talking about you can't become a number one contender in a catch weight. And they drug me into it. Said Uncle Chael even told us that when Kamara Usman wanted to fight Jemayev, but he wanted it a catch weight because Kamara did not want to become the number one contender and be asked to face Adesanya. And he couldn't be with a catch weight. You're right, I did say all of those things. It is different in this situation. When it's a last minute, when it's Rob Font that's asking for it, when it's Rob Font that says, yes, I'll do it, but I can't quite get down to weight. Spot me a few pounds, and I'll see you soon. Very different situation. Asking for it to be a number one contenders match. That sounds right to me, and I hope that it is. Versus Paul, Dallas, Texas, Chael P will be there. And by the way, it's an interesting match. It's an interesting match. Do you MMA fans that find yourself saying, Nate's going to kill him? Do you find yourself a little nervous when you do say it? Because you don't quite have that confidence, do you? And by the way, you're not being disloyal to Nate if you feel those nerves, Nate will be straight and tell you the same thing. And maybe Nate wouldn't use those words, but Nate will show you his training. He'll show you that he's sparring 10 rounds a day with absolute killers, including world boxing champions. That's not fun and that's not easy. It's because he's not sure. Put himself in the absolute best position he can and train really hard. I'll tell you one thing that is interesting about Paul, and the story has changed so much. The perception and the feeling has changed so much. I remember when he had his first fight that I saw. I believe he's done something in England, but his brother also fights, so I get a little bit confused when I see one, and then over time, and I, I, I interchange him a little bit. But he fought on Triller. It was the night Tyson came back to fight Roy Jones. And... Jake Paul fought an NBA guy who was most famous for entering and winning the slam dunk contest. All right, how's that for memory? So Jake Paul goes out and beats him. And as soon as Jake beats him, it is quickly dismissed. Now, it was dismissed beforehand that this is nothing more than fun. It's a basketball player versus a YouTuber. There's nothing real boxing about this. And then when Jake knocks him out, instead of going, whoa, that YouTuber's got some real power in his hands, instead of doing that, we quickly pile on the basketball player, who, by the way, had the courage to do it. And by the way, had he not taken that shot, who knows what that contest would look like. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. I, I, don't, I don't choose to pick on him. And moreover, we still weren't willing to give Jake his credit. So he goes out, he does another match. And Jake hears what you're saying. Like most fight, all fighters want to appease you. 
They want you on their side. But some of them, as a way of getting you there, will tell you they want the opposite. I don't care what anybody thinks. Screw you. I won't sign your autograph, kid. All these things that they don't mean. It's just their negotiation. It's their character and Gilmick to attempt to build the brand to give you what you want. And Jake was very interesting because he understands psychology as well as anybody. But he was very open to say, I hear you and I'm going to give it to you. So he kept trying to up his level of competition. He kept trying to find harder fights. He kept trying to give you the allure that he's going to get beat. So if you support me and you love me, this is going to be a glorious victory for us. And if you don't like me, then come watch because this guy used to be world champion. And that's where T. Wood came in. And that's where T. Wood came in again. And that's where the building of everything with Tommy Fury came. And that's where competing against Andrew Silva came. Harder matches, less likely for him to win, won't be called basketball players. Now, there was always ways after the fact, once the world started to find out how good Jake was. Like, there was a side that just didn't want to give it to him, regardless of what your lion eyes were telling you. Anderson took a dive. T. Wood didn't have time to train. Fill in the blank. As long as it gets us to the conclusion that Jake Paul isn't actually a fighter. And then you just keep seeing him. He just keeps looking better. I mean, this is just the reality, right? I wasn't as interested, by the way, or I wasn't as impressed, by the way, with the outcomes. That was kind of a cherry on the Jake Paul Sunday. The performances did surprise me. Jake Paul's feints. To do a feint, right? Remember, all of you had had this. Whether it was a jerk on the school bus or an older brother... And then they and then they punch you in the shoulder. They said two for flinching, and they punch you. Right. There's always a jerk that does it. Like the, the cool guy never does it, but there's always a jerk that does some kind of and then punches you twice in the shoulder. Remember that game? Well, fainting is very real. If you can get a professional fighter to pause, I grew up with people believing Roy Jones was unsportsmanlike. I competed in a time when people thought Anderson Silva was cocky. Neither was either. Those were nothing more than setups. Some guys will flinch at you. Some guys will move their hands. Some guys will bob their head. Some guys will raise their shoulder. It's anything to get you to look. Lyoto Machida used to take his lead leg and just bring it to the outside. There is no technique there. There is no skill there at all. But he didn't mean for there to be. It was look over here so you don't see over here. I'm just sharing with you there's different kinds of setups. Most guys will do it really fast is my point. Anderson Silva might give you an entire something to look at. Same with Adesanya. But neither one of them's clowning you. They're trying to get you to look. Boom, boom. Then they come. I bring it to you because it's a really hard thing to do. Whether that happened to you by a bully on the school bus or not, it's a hard thing to do. And Paul does them very well. It does not natural. It does not come natural. And when I saw him fainting is the day I knew he spent a lot of time in the gym. More than he's told us. So then you add those feints to his footwork. Then you add the feints and the footwork to the natural power. Then you add the feints, the footwork to the natural power, to his ability to compete under pressure, which is what being a main event is all about. So you take the pressure, take a look at the footwork, you add the feints, you mention the power, and you look at the level of competition rising. And it was one of these spots where I do have to ask myself, when? When did he have a chance to prepare? 
Right, I mean, he's got the podcast, and he's got the YouTubes going, he's got a little of this, he's got something with, is it called Gamer, or something along these lines, with this gambling thing that he's, he's trying to build, he spends a lot of time with his brother. I have to imagine he has a social life. I know his parents and him have a great relationship, I'm sure there's a girl involved, I mean, I'm throwing things out there, but there's still only 24 hours in a day. He, you have to, you're either in the gym twice, or you're not. Simple. You're in the gym twice a day, or you're not. You're not a contender, and you're not a competitor if you're not in the gym twice a day, every day. Feel free to take weekends off. And I'm just saying, where does the time come? Where does the energy come when he gets there? I didn't think he had it. I think it was possible that it could happen. It takes a really long time. So the narrative on Jake has constantly turned and changed to where now a number of people, and you go look at the line on this, a number of people believe that he's going to beat Nate Diaz. And that is just shocking to me. I mean, that's a truly shocking statement to me. I watched Nate. I've practiced with Nate. I can tell you firsthand what a pain in the ass trying to beat Nate is going to be. But I won't put Jake down in the process. And I won't tell you that Nate has wasted his time in preparing in those two workouts a day every day that I talked about. I won't tell you that I think that Nate could have skipped some. I think he's got to be sharp. And if you do look at the things in Jake Paul's favor, Jake asked for this fight. Both fighters, every time, know who's going to win. Every time. That, of course, is a 99 point whatever percent statement. The really great fights that you've seen is a broad star where both fighters think that person's them. Nate went to great lengths to get free from a very beautiful contract, from a very beautiful organization, be able to do this fight because he's that sure he's going to win. Jake Paul booked the match under his promotion company, set up the bond, and put up the money for this very opponent because he thinks he's going to win. Nate Diaz hasn't straight boxed. Jake's only straight box last period of time. Nate Diaz hasn't trained for a straight boxing competition. Jake Paul has only trained for those. Nate Diaz has never fought somebody this big. All these things are true. But I don't know that Jake Paul's ever fought anybody this tough. I don't know he's fought anybody this active. And I don't know that he's fought anybody this busy. By the way, if I can define active, I don't just mean that Nate is going to put a lot at you. I don't just mean that he's going to touch you a lot to the body and, come, and he's just going to have things coming at you and make you reactive as opposed to active. I don't just mean that. Nate just fought. Before that, he had fought. Before that, I'm talking about an active and busy fighter. No retirements, not over the hill, not I once was, any of these things. This is a guy that just did. It's a very interesting match. It really is. It's a truly interesting match. I can't remember a time that Nate has been knocked down. And then what do you want to call a knockdown? Was he hit on his feet and he went down short? Did he stay down? Was he out? No. So it's an interesting match. Do you believe that Jake can be the first? Even if he lands that big shot, it puts him down. That put everybody else down. Do you really think Nate's going to stay there? I don't. For the first time ever, he doesn't have to. He can get a whole 10 seconds. It's an interesting match. I'm looking forward to it. It's this weekend. I'm taking my son. I'm going to be there live. I hope you guys tune in. We're going to be talking about the outcome next week. Alright guys.
guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I am off to Dallas for the Paul Diaz fight. I cannot wait. I'm going to bring you all the back news stories. We've got that and UFC Nashville this weekend. I mean, what a time to be a fight fan. I'm going to be back here on Tuesday to talk about it all. I am Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.